Good morning, it's Monday the 14th of September 2020, it's Jim and it's the World of Bonds. It's a Japan special today uh, because last night the Japan's leading party, the LDP, elected Yoshihida Suga as a replacement for Prime Minister Abe, who is stepping down. Um, he was Japan's longest serving Prime Minister, he's been in place since 2012 and responsible for Arbonomics. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but more widely about Japan and its implications for bond markets globally. Now, for a bond investor, Japan is kind of the ghost of Christmas future, a kind of warning from the future that everything that Japan is going through now will become uh, the Western world's um, destiny as well. And, you know, you can see this in some of the policy things that Japan has done, uh, quantitative easing, um, its aging population looks a bit like ours will in, in a decade or so time huge budget deficits, huge debt levels. And so people look at Japan as a kind of thing that um, we ought to be very, very scared of. What if we become more and more like Japan economically? Um, everything they've done first, we're going to kind of, just like the basketball moving through the snake um, argument about demographics, you can see it coming as it moves through and there's not a lot you can do about it to change your your future um, experience. So. For years now, research analysts at investment banks have had to put a pound in the cliché jar if they use the phrase turning Japanese to kind of imply that the Western world is going to have the same things happen to it as Japan. And the other economics cliché is obviously Japanification that we use almost every day to describe what's happening to the Western world. Remember, they had a banking crisis that led to stock market collapses, uh, property market collapsed, um, growth slowed, inflation slowed, the Bank of Japan cut interest rates down to zero and below zero, and they did quantitative easing and huge fiscal spending. So, it, you know, I think that you can suggest that the template is there for Western bond markets. The other thing, though, is that normally when people use the term Japanification, they're implying something terrible and bad is about to happen to your economy. And I think that is worth unpacking as well. Let's go back to the 70s. Like the rest of the world, Japan had inflation in double digits um, at the time. In 1974, Japan had inflation of nearly 25% year on year. Um, over the past 20 years, the average year on year inflation in Japan is around about 0.1% year on year. So effectively zero. And people look at that and say, it's terrible. Look, they flirt with deflation every now and then. On the other hand, you could well argue that zero inflation for two decades, um, not high levels of inflation, not volatile inflation, but inflation very near zero for that entire period is a, a very good out, out um, put. Isn't that exactly what you would want from your central bank or your government to deliver? Um, look at unemployment. Since the start of 2020, the unemployment rate in Japan is 2.3%. That's one of the lowest in the world, anywhere in the world. Um, even in the middle of this year, it had gone up, it, uh, just with coronavirus, as the rest of the developed market had as well. But whereas place in Europe, the US saw double-digit rises in unemployment, Japan's unemployment rate in June had only gone up to about 2.8%, you know, a dramatically lower increase than in the Eurozone or, or the US. Um, now, 
linked to that is the fact they've got a very, very low level of uh, coronavirus um, spreading around Japan. That may well change as well. But it, both things may tell us something about the society and the social compact that you have here, that people don't get furloughed or put out of work at the, the first um, sign of economic weakness. And that may cause lower growth over the medium term, but it may well be the kind of society that if you were designing your society, you'd be very happy to live in also talk here about the exceptionally low crime rate um, here in Japan as well. So perhaps Japan, rather than being this um, sort of future warning about disaster, ought to be some sort of template for us in terms of what a good outcome once you move into a post-growth economy um, should be like. You know, and this is post-growth. Again, looking back over the past 20 years, the average GDP, um, real GDP growth year on year is just under 1%, 0.9%, so lower than the Western world, but now not dramatically lower than the Western world. And it's a world where demographics have um, determined the future course of the economy. Remember that your potential growth rate is largely linked to the growth rate of your working population plus um, something for productivity growth there and the western world has struggled with productivity growth um, and is going to face the same sort of demographic issues the us to a lesser extent um, and countries that allow immigration uh, and have more immigrants with higher birth rates will have higher potential growth rates than countries that don't so for instance um, italy very low levels of immigration, very low birth rates, is likely to have exceptionally low uh, growth rates for the foreseeable future. And I think the world has been generally disappointed that technology has not delivered the growth in productivity that we thought it might do. And there are some reasons for that, and economists um, argue whether we're measuring productivity right. But nevertheless, it's likely that we will have lower growth going forward, given our demographic challenges. So Japan, other things that we can look at are the huge rise in debt to GDP. Uh, We talked about this in in length over the past few decades. You know, Japan lost its AAA credit rating first and early on. Um, If you went back 20 years, its debt to GDP ratio was around 150%. You know, at the same time, the UK was probably down at 30, 40% debt to GDP uh, ratio. Um, so, you know, more than three, four times higher than most AAA rated economies at the time. Now, Japan's debt to GDP ratio is over 240%. Um, so, again, you know, we see that we are moving in the same direction as that. 10 year Japanese bond yields today are at 0.02%. And again, you know, they've been very, very low for a long time. People have, you know, the widow maker trade. Um, shorting Japanese government bonds has lost you a lot of money if you've if you've tried to oppose these yields and say that you know there's surely no value there. But you know just to compare this morning, Japan and the UK. So Japanese two-year government bond yields minus 12 basis points. UK two-year government bond yields minus 12 basis points. Japan five-year uh, government bond yields minus 10. The UK minus 12. So you know at the short end. UK yields are already lower in some places than Japanese bond yields. We're still a little bit higher at 10 and 30 years, so that's 10-year gilts at 18 compared to 2 in Japan, and at 30 years we're at 75 there at 58. But nevertheless, you you know, there's a a cigarette paper between our bond yields now. And so what does the future imply for, for the UK? And I think probably 
the policy that we haven't done yet in the West that um, the Japanese have got to first is yield curve control. And that's saying, you know, we've got this huge budget deficit, we've got this huge debt burden, debt to GDP. Um, how can we stop there being a bond market, you know, revolt against that high level of borrowing? And the answer has been yield curve control, YCC, where you pin down that 10-year government bond yield or other tenors of bond and say we're not going to let the bond yield go above 10 basis points or zero or minus 10, whatever level the state decides to impose. So that seems to be the future there. A quick word on Arbe. You know, he has been doing Arbonomics since 2012. He's leaving as Japan's prime minister uh, because of ill health and Suga will uh, replace him, as we talked about. Arbonomics was based on three economic arrows, effectively. The first one was monetary policy and driving inflation up to 2%. The second one was about fiscal policy and uh, stimulating the economy through borrowing and spending. Um, and the third one was about structural issues. The third arrow, the structural issues about developing growth through changing the structure of your economy. Um, one of those things, for instance, was encouraging uh, more women back into the workforce incredibly successfully. You know, the female participation rate in Japan is now higher than in most of the developed market economies. But overall, you could say that Arbonomics has failed its growth and inflation goals, in part because whenever things appeared to be getting better in Japan, they decided that they needed to sort out their budget deficit and raised VAT, raised consumption tax. And that led to some big distortions in the growth numbers, but always led to a spike in spending in the shops for a couple of months, followed by a long winter for retail spending. So it doesn't appear, you know, as a lesson from history for the West that raising consumption tax as a, you know, as your goal, um, you know, is going to have some damaging impacts on growth, even though it will obviously, if you don't do that, result in higher um, budget deficits. Um, so overall, uh, Suga is expected and has talked about following more Arbonomic style policies. We also have the same Bank of Japan governor still in place for another uh, two or three years, Kuroda. So uh, I wouldn't expect very much to happen as a result of last night's announcement about a uh, new prime minister from Japan. But um, just worth remembering when people talk about Japanification, it doesn't necessarily mean disaster, but it does mean a post-growth economy. Have a good week.